morning, everyone. Once again, and I always do this and I mean it, thank you for being here. Thank you for making the week begin with the study of God's Word. So thank you for that. I believe God honors it, and he will continue to honor it in our lives. This morning we're continuing in the study of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 to 19. And I don't normally do this, but I will this morning. Give me a little latitude. Uh, My back said that I'm not going to do well today. You're not going to be walking around. So there's a battle in me. Who's going to win, me or my back? So it's a distraction. Trust me, it's a distraction. So if I'm, there may be a reason for it other than I'm that type of person. Ah, Let's pray, Father. Father, when you ask the question to us, who are you? Father, by the revelation and work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, our answer is, we are your blessed people. We are blessed. Father, because we are those whom you have brought into your very personal presence to fellowship, to walk with, to enjoy, to experience, to receive from you who are the blessed one. Father, thank you for this. At the greatest price, you have caused us to be the most unblessed to the blessed people. Father, we are the only ones who are blessed. Those in the blessed one. Father, as we continue to study today, Father, would you continue to enlarge this understanding, this enormous gift of grace. We are yours. Blessed because we are united relationally to you. Blessed because we have the blessing of your presence by the Holy Spirit. Father, that we may increasingly be experiencing and showing forth what blessedness is really about. Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week you noticed that we ended the last week's class on verse number 10. And as I said, typically, and not incorrectly, there are nine beatitudes, nine blesseds. There are nine. Verses 3 through 12, there are nine of these. But I suppose, strictly speaking, there are only eight Beatitudes. And so the last Beatitude ends with verse 10. Jesus is talking about the blessing of being persecuted. And if you're like I am, I'm rah-rahing all these Beatitudes. Rah-rah, children of God, peacemakers, inheriting the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Until we get to verse number 10 and say, what? What was that? Maybe that was a mistake. Maybe what happened was Jesus said this and he didn't either mean it that way or he meant it in a way that I hope he means it differently than he said it. Now, obviously, the Son of God doesn't say something inadvertently and has to come back and clarify. But perhaps for the disciples' sake, 
having heard this, what am I blessed here? Persecute? What, what is this all about? He's going to reiterate and enlarge upon that statement in verse 10 in verses 11 and 12. So let's read these verses that enlarge upon and then explain in a better way why verse 10 is what it is and why it is what it is. So verses 11 and the first part of verse 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Now, I hope to get through this lesson today, but I want us to stop for a moment because it really doesn't do a whole lot of good if we're reading the Word of God and we don't allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us personally. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my account. Rejoice and be glad. Now, honestly, how many of you can say that you find yourself in that description of persecution, uttering evil, reviling, persecuting? Have any of us ever been on the receiving end of persecution? Any of us. And so what is the basis of this persecution? The basis and the 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 uh, what word do I want the uh, the center the foundation of persecution it's not the person who's acting against you it's not your wife it's not your husband it's not your children it's not your mom and them it's not even your pastors sometimes the origin of persecution is Satan attacking the righteousness of God in us. And so we can begin to make sure that we understand and see that. So when I am mistreated, misunderstood, and vilified, and talked about, and cast down, or I do the same to someone else, there's someone behind all of that that is generating and inflaming our flesh. And causing us to react in ways that are going to be counterproductive to the revelation of being God's blessed people. You see, it all has to do with our being the image bearers of our God. And Satan attacked that purpose of God in Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. And he has never stopped attacking it and will not stop it until he is thrown into the lake of fire. Remember in Genesis, uh, Revelation chapter 19, he makes a big splash. Thank God for that. I want to be on the front line. I've asked the Lord, I want a front row seat so when Satan is cast in, I can, with sanctified lungs, yell the biggest yell I think I have ever had, except for the yell of salvation. And so let's remember this. Every one of us has been the object and the originator, at least in the natural way, of persecution. But if we don't see it for what it really is and its origin, 
we are going to be playing into the very hands of the one who is persecuting us because essentially all persecution against us and all persecution that we wage against others and our attitudes and our thoughts and our accusations and the way we relate to one another, we are persecutors. And what is the essential revelation there? You find that revelation in chapter 9 of Acts. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And see, it's a persecution against Christ himself. So let's see that when we are being persecuted, and let's make sure that when we are acting in any way other than caring, loving, patience, kindness, et cetera, et cetera, to another believer, we are persecuting Christ. So Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Why we rejoice and be glad? How many of us know that the biggest threat and the biggest temptation in our being persecuted and experiencing any kind of issue like this comes against our joy? Have you noticed that joy is attacked and begins to be under assault here? Joy. We find that no joy in how we're being treated. There's no joy in that. And so as a result, something is happening that we need to see. And so Jesus said, rejoice and be glad. Why rejoice? Why rejoice? Because this response, this joyful rejoicing response, and I'm not talking about just a pretending, but a true decision to rejoice. And sometimes you notice what I said. It must sometimes begin with a decision to rejoice. Yes, I'm going to take a little longer on this. I can feel it already, but I'm going to. Some things just need to. There is a decision to rejoice when things are not going the way we hope they would or at least the way they should go. Sometimes it's a decision, and I think most of the time it's a decision. How many of you have heard a sacrifice of praise? You've heard of that. Well, here's what people think. A sacrifice of praise is to when you're not doing well, when things begin to happen and problems begin to occur and you're being uh, persecuted and you know, tribulation is in your life and storms and whatever are happening. Just praise Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Oh, I love you, Lord, I love you. That's a lie. It's a lie. When you are under persecution and you don't feel like praising Jesus and you do it that way, it is a lie. How many of you know that? Now, come on. How many of you know that when we're persecuted, we don't feel like praising Jesus. Am I the only one? Am I the only strange person in this room? Thank you, Bob, for raising your hand fast on that. I've given this example before, and I'll give it again. I'm in the print shop years ago. A.J. Desherry can relate to this. He and I used to work together at New Orleans Envelope. Well, what am I thinking? I did the work. He just, well, okay, now... He walked around with a suit on collecting the money. I did the work. So <laughs> he's smarter than I am. And so Friday night, we get an order to imprint 6,000 letterheads of Entergy. We had printed all those letterheads and stacked them up in all of these boxes, and every once in a while they would draw down on a particular mailing. Now, Entergy isn't the kind of customer that is understanding when things don't go well. You are. 
Frank, I, I, our company stretched Frank's faith in God more than any other stretching he's ever had in his life. <laughs> and I'm printing these letterheads. And they have to be ready for Monday morning. It's 6 o'clock, James. It's Friday night, 6 o'clock. Everybody's going home. Ain't nobody there downtown. That's, a, that's a, the sound of a, uh, a little printing press. And all of a sudden, I smell smoke. I turn off the machine and smoke comes out of the little three-quarter most horsepower motor. My first reaction is this. Not now. Do you know what I mean? Peter, do you understand what that means? Not now. Not now. You're studying for your final exam. You have this material. You have to have it correct. Tomorrow's a final exam. You look in your book. And you've lost it. Not now. I don't need that kind of persecution, of tribulation, of temptation, of assault. Now, I don't need it now. Murphy, give it to me on a day where I can handle it, where I have five other options, and I'm okay with it. Anybody think like I do? I literally said not now. And then... I became angry. Oh, no. I know that I'm the only one who's ever become angry with God. You see, the word of God is real. And I'm a real person just like most of you. There are a few of you in here, I'm not sure, are real people. But, you know, I was upset. And my frustration and my anger, as in everything is essentially directed toward God himself. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I shouldn't have said that to some. Ooh, that hurt somebody. My frustration and anger and questioning was not about the printing press, Johnny. It was about the God whose sovereign control can protect the press from burning up. See, we have to get to the heart of the matter. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit is greater than my, my whatever. And he says, give me your sacrifice of praise. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking. I'm, I'm by myself. You remember the press room, the big room? And I'm saying, I'm supposed to now pretend I am glad about this? And the Lord said, no, I don't want you to lie. You're not, you're not glad. You're upset. I'm upset. Tell him. But there's one thing I can do. Even when I am angry as a snake, I can confess what is true. Hear me. Even when I am angry, frustrated, disappointed, whatever, as a snake, I have the ability in Christ by the Spirit to confess what is the truth in the face of feelings that are absolutely to the contrary. I have the ability to confess what is truth. And so I began to do it, gritting my teeth. And I really mean, I was upset. 
I didn't want to lose this customer. We would print at one time 350,000 two-color envelopes, two-color, two sides on our jet press. This was a major customer. I didn't want to lose them. You don't disappoint these people. Well, we go somewhere else, and they're gone. And I started walking up and down saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. Kenny, I'm, I'm, I'm upset. I'm gritting my teeth. Jesus Christ is Lord. I know it's theologically true, Nick, but I don't feel it right now. It's not emotionally true for me, Ashley, but it is theologically true. And it is the truth, the knowing of the truth that sets us what? Free. Up and down I'm going. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Over and over and over and over. And the Holy Spirit did something. He touched something. All of a sudden, something began to turn. A little bit at a time. Just a little bit. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. And I'm pacing up and down, and all of a sudden, it began to change. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is the Lord. And I'm yelling out, Satan, I don't care if it never works again. I don't care if I lose everything in this business. I don't care, literally, if you burn the whole place to the ground. Jesus Christ is Lord. God turned it around, Julio. I didn't change my mind, Mary. My mind was changed for me. There's some of you in here, maybe many, hopefully all of us, who have this kind of a testimony. Whatever is going on in your life, you have got to honker down into the truth and make the gutsy decision. I am going to, against my flesh and my circumstances and my whatever, I will give God the truth. I walked over to the little printing press, hit the switch, it started again. And in the next three years, until I left New Orleans Envelope, it never broke again. You see, give God a hand, not me. I didn't do anything. So what am I saying? That if you'll praise God, he'll make everything right. No, he, he could have taken it all away. But you know what? He broke through in a deeper way to say, am I more important than whatever? And one of the greatest proofs of that, if not the greatest proof, is rejoicing in the midst of, not after, the midst of, not even hoping that if I rejoice, he'll make it okay. Rejoicing in this. I don't care whether he makes it okay or not, because I have a Savior and a Father who is himself okay, notwithstanding anything and everything else in my life. Amen? Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. This is what, why, why, why rejoice? You see, our rejoicing and being glad in these circumstances images the rejoicing of Jesus. What does Hebrews 12, 2 say? For the joy, 
for the joy that was set before him, Jesus did what? He endured the cross, despising the shame. Why am I to rejoice? Why are we to rejoice? Because we are God's image bearers. We have been made and being conformed into the image of God's own son, Romans 8, 29. And as such, our rejoicing is imaging, reflecting, testifying to the rejoicing of the son of God going into the most horrible circumstance and affliction any one of us individually and all of us collectively could ever imagine yet even experience. And he did it with what? Joy. This is what James talks about. Remember James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3? I mean, after saying, where yet? How you doing, church? Good to see y'all who are scattered all over the place. Now, let me tell you something. James gets right to it, right to it. He says this, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. What? Knowing. You see, the word knowing is key. Knowing, you see that also in Romans 5, 3 through 5. Knowing, the key is knowing. We know God. We are known by God. We know him. Knowing that the testing or the proving of your faith produces assurance. What God is doing here is in our rejoicing, he is showing us that we are his more and more through the proof of rejoicing. Plus, as we are rejoicing, it's not only a proof of our salvation, but it is a maturing activity of our salvation. The rejoicing in the midst of all of this stuff causes our roots in Christ to grow more deeply all the time as we rejoice, right? Can somebody say amen? amen? Yes, yes. I mean, this morning, I, I, I get up, I'm doing all right. I'm getting my truck, start going down the street, get to a Starbucks where I spend the morning on Sunday morning, and all of a sudden, my back, all of a sudden, what is wrong with my back? I haven't had a problem on this side of it. It's been the other side, and that's been taken care of. I mean, good night, and I'm hobbling in, and, and you know. Why? Because God will not only make what he tells us to do theologically real, he will apply it to us. And I had to do what I'm saying we have to do. I have to say, Satan, if you cripple me, I am still going to rejoice. I remember walking to the corner before I had that operation on my back in 08. And literally, how far is the corner from my house? 200 feet? Walking one foot in front of the other, not being able to extend my left leg more than six inches. Getting to the corner with my cane. I felt like I ran a marathon, and the, I'm standing there on the corner of St. Charles Avenue and Dufosset, and the Lord says to me, if you never walk again, will you rejoice? Say what? If you never walk again, if you never win another case, if your medical practice goes down to... Will you rejoice? Congratulations, John, on winning that, that, what was it? Award for that NASA project. 
this guy was on TV with his team. They won. What was the name of the NASA? What is it? Help me. The Big Idea Challenge. And NASA gave you that, didn't they? That award. Amen. God uses this man. Yes. What was I saying a moment ago? If I never walk again, he says to me, will you rejoice? Here I am on the corner, leaning on this cane, not knowing whether I will ever walk again in any appreciable way. I didn't know an operation was coming down the road in a few months, and I'm going to be pretty well okay Then a few attacks, right? This is Leah. She's engaged to this man, whoever he is. And I'm standing there thinking, as we all have to do, what's the priority in my life? What's important? By the way, Danny Sabella's here. Let's be praying for his mama, Debbie, with that kidney operation. Make sure you put it down on your prayer list, Debbie Sabella. Rejoice. Why? For one reason, Gordon. Rejoicing is a quintessential revelation that I belong to God through Christ. Amen. Yes. See, rejoicing in persecution is one of the clearest proofs that we are God's blessed people. First Peter two twenty one. I remember I had a man in my office and he was going through a few issues. <laughs> and when people come to my office, and any of you been in the office, you may not know this, but you need to know it. You're sitting before a man who absolutely intrinsically, I don't have anything for you. I don't know what to say. I have no ability to touch you in any appreciable way. As that is your soul, your heart. I can't do it. You're looking at a lump of clay. Seriously, a lump of whatever. I have no credentials educationally. I have nothing except the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Intrinsically, ain't got a thing. But by gifting, I have everything that is necessary for life and godliness for you. So when you sit there and you speak, I'm listening with one ear, but in the other side of my brain, I'm asking literally, if you could listen to me, you would be hearing this, Father, I need to have a word. I need to have your wisdom. I, I don't have anything. I don't know what to say. And often, often, I'll start saying something. I have absolutely no idea what's going to come out, where it's going, and what it's going to do. I don't know. So he's sitting there in the office. And I said, well, let's turn to First Peter. Chapter 2. And let's see what the Lord has. I mean, the, the word just flashed in front of my mind. He was undergoing some stuff. And I read these words, for you have been called for this purpose. <gasps> to be persecuted? Is this in your notes, this verse? For you, who is the you? The people of God. 
How many are yous in here? Any yous in here? Only a few of you are yous. <laughs> for you have been called for this very purpose. Would you underline it in your Bibles? For you have been called for this purpose. Well, what purpose is that? Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. We have been called to walk in the sufferings of Christ himself. And not only to walk in those sufferings, but also to respond with his response. Why? Because he is in us, we are in him, and we are his image bearers, being conformed to his image daily by the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Correct? If you don't like being persecuted and undergoing this, just ask God to take your name out of the book of life. So if any objections in here, ask God to, could you scratch my name off? I'm really tired of this. But have you ever noticed this, that every living human being has troubles? But you see, the difference is the troubles that accrue to believers God is using them redemptively. The trouble that accrues to unbelievers, God is using them in judgment. Which side do you want to be on? Because all of us will get it until we leave here. You see, the arrow of Satan, remember the flaming missiles in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16? Take up the shield of faith with, with quench the fiery arrows. I think it's 16. All, every arrow, if it's not 16, correct me. Every arrow has a cert, Satan's purpose, illicit complaints against God. But the same arrow has God's purpose of proving and refining through trustful rejoicing. It's the same arrow. Who, who, whose arrow is it? Satan's. But you see, it's also God's arrow as far as usefulness is concerned, isn't it? You've been called for this very purpose. And what is the rock-bottom reason for rejoicing? Look at verse, the second part of it. For so per persecuted they, the prophets who were before you. For great is your reward in heaven. You see, the reason for our joy, the reason for our rejoicing in the midst of all that is going on in our life is the same reason that Jesus had. Remember Hebrews 12, 2. Well, first, looking off the G and then 12, 2. Who for the joy that was set before him. What is that joy that is set before him? The father's joy of having a people of his own possession in heaven with him forever. You see, that's the father's great purpose in the creation Never having to create because he needed fellowship, 
because he had perfect eternal fellowship within himself and it cannot be improved upon. Perfect means what? You can't get better. That's why you don't say perfect, more perfect, and perfect at us. <laughs> Didn't you? How many of you know that your English teacher said you can't? What do you call it? What is that? Compared to what? Whatever it's called, <laughs> you can't get better perfectness. And this is his purpose. And the Father lovingly decrees that his purpose will be carried out by his Son. (gasps) Can you imagine what staggering love that God the Father had for the Son to give to the Son the most enormous responsibility that he could ever have? And that is to obey the Father's decree of carrying out the Father's eternal purpose. What a love that the Father had for the Son. And then the Son's love for what? (gasps) To say yes. What a reciprocating love between the Father and the Son. And the Son comes and he fulfills that purpose. Knowing that when he fulfills it, He has to fulfill it by going to the cross. Knowing that. Knowing it before creation. Knowing it as he created. Knowing it as he breathes into Adam the breath of life. Knowing that as he creates this woman out of the side of Adam, she will be the natural means through whom Satan will get to Adam and move Adam to disobey. Knowing all of this. He does it with joy, and he enters the world with joy, and he walks through life with joy. And then finally, he goes to the trials with joy, and he submits to the scourging, the beatings with joy, and he walks to the cross with joy, and they nail him to the cross with joy, not physically loving it, despising the shame, despising it. The shame of what? The shame of bearing our sin. The shame of it. The shame of it. But something overcame the dastardly deeds of Satan and the shame of our sin and the horrible physical torture. What overcame it all and what moved Jesus and empowered him all the way through to the end in victory? The joy of the Father's will being accomplished by the Son. Hebrews 12, too. And Jesus says, when you rejoice for persecution, what? Great is your reward where? Both here, 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 but where essentially? In heaven. And what is that joy in heaven? Revelation 22, 4. Five words. I think encapsulate the very purpose of God. Revelation 22.4. I don't know if that's in your notes or not, but Evan may have forgotten it. And they shall see his face. Is that five words or six? <laughs> or maybe just leave off and. They shall see his face. That's the joy. The joy of personal face-to-face relational fellowship with this God 
with this blessed one forever. See, that's the joy. The joy of Jesus returning to the Father. And not only returning to the Father, but we're returning to the Father, as we'll see next week, with an inheritance that you'll see if you look at Psalm 2, 7 and 8, an inheritance. You see, Jesus returns to the Father filled with the fruit of obedience, the church, the joy for greatest reward. So they can look forward to that same inheritance. You see, this is what John fourteen three is all about. That where I am, there you will be also. Amen. Now, I don't know why all the preparation to do this study today and get us all the way through verse 19, I think it is. But in a very sacred way, I don't care. I just needed to hear this again. And maybe some of you needed to hear it with me. So next week we'll hopefully continue with verse 13. Thank you.